0: It's the weekend edition of FAQ NYC, the New Yorkist podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers, The City. This is where we step back from the rush of the news cycle to take deeper dives and different looks into some of the things that are always happening here, the only place in the world, and welcome in some new guests and hosts to do all that. I'm Harry Siegel, co host and executive producer. And this episode has my colleague at the city, Deputy Editor Alyssa Katz, talking with Manfred Kirschheimer, who goes by Manny, and who spent decades working as America's, quote, least known great documentarian, unquote, capturing New York City again and again. It's the first in what will be an occasional series of conversations she'll be having with some very cool thinkers, doers, and dreamers about a big question What is New York for? Alyssa, welcome and over to you.
1: Thanks, Harry. As New Yorkers have come out of the COVID lockdown, blinking into the daylight, the question keeps coming up. Why the hell are we here? Or to ask that another way, what is New York for? Now that the forces for hundreds of years that have pulled humans magnetically together on our islands in the harbor, work, commerce, play, learning, culture, social connection, these can now happen among people situated anywhere in the world. In our world of transient digital nomads with 20% voter turnout in local elections, when Hamilton is on the Disney Channel and young people grow up in virtual gaming worlds, has New York City outlived its usefulness? Or are we characters in the next chapters of a city's great story, whose plot most of us can't yet fathom? Joining me to dig into that is Manny Kirchheimer, who spent the pandemic in a unique sort of time warp, calling and editing hours and hours of documentary footage that he and a colleague filmed in New York City between 1958 and 1960, creating the final two films in a cycle that also includes 2018's Dream of a City and 2019's Free Time. Over the weekend of October 15th and again the weekend of October 22nd, The Museum of the Moving Image in Astoria, Queens, will be screening those documentary meditations on New York City, which also include his best known film, his transit poem, Stations of the Elevated. Kirchheimer, who's 91, has lived in New York City since his family arrived here after fleeing Germany in 1936 when he was five years old. I wanted to get his perspective on the current moment in New York City as seen through the lens, he's been turning on a streetscape in change for most of his life. Let's jump right in. So, Manny, where, where are you right now in New York City? And I have to ask you, does this feel like the same city that you first arrived in in 1936 in, in, in any
2: way?
3: Well, I'm, uh, right now I'm on the Upper West Side. I used to live, I mean, when we first came over from Germany, uh, we lived in Marble Hill. And that was an Irish neighborhood, and we were one of the very, very few Jews who lived in that neighborhood. Um, then we moved to Washington Heights, where all my neighbors were Jewish, and and mostly from Germany. Um, it's where the German refugees moved to in, uh, let's see, that was... Uh, six years later. So that was 1941, I believe, and 1942 that we moved to Washington Heights. And then I got married and we moved to Regal Park because we found uh, a cheap apartment. And then after nine years, uh, 1964, we moved to uh, Washington, uh, to uh the Upper West Side here, where I'm sitting right now in my seven-room rent-controlled apartment.
1: And um, how how did you, I mean, in in this journey you've taken through New York City, how did you first become a filmmaker? And what drew you to the subject of New York City itself? Was that your first subject, or did you take a path to get there?
2: Well, my first sub. Yes, actually. Well, let me let me go back.
3: Um, I went to City College, and City College, of New York, and uh, they had the first documentary film program in the country, headed up by uh, an exiled and refugee um, uh, avant-garde filmmaker, and he was also an avant-garde painter, Hans Richter. And Hans, with a strong German accent, interviewed me, and I interviewed him. I said,
2: Professor, um, are there any opportunities in film? And he answered, yeah.
3: Opportunities, there are many, but no jobs. <laughs> so uh, that was my beginning. And t- then I joined that program at City College and um, came out of it and got a job in the New York film industry, documentary film industry, in 1952. Uh, but f- soon found I became an editor after three years and found
2: that when you worked in the industry, um, you made an interesting rough cut of the material.
3: And that's when the bosses, the producers, stepped in. Because now they understood the film. You know, they had been given a bunch of raw footage, unrelated And in documentaries, there often wasn't a script. And they didn't know what to do with the footage, but the editor put it together in such a way that they understood it. And then they wouldn't let me carry out my ideas of the rough cut. And they would take it over, and they'd sort of spoil it. And even though I worked on 200 or more films in the film industry, there are only three or four that I still show that I'm proud of. so and that that's the story of my beginnings. Oh, so because of that, I felt the only way to express my own ideas is to make my own films. Mm-hmm. And so I teamed up with a good friend, Walter Hess. And the two of us would go out every day when we were unemployed. I had a car at the time. And we were living in Regal Park, but we would drive to Manhattan. And we would shoot footage for a large script that I had called at the time Dream of a City. It was a script for over a two-hour film. And... um we would shoot that material. But when it came to editing the material, Walter and I couldn't get together on it properly. So we gave that up, and I proposed to Walter that we use the material as grab bag and make our own films with it, which he readily agreed to. But before he did that, I... um made a small film called Colossus on the River, a 15-minute film about the docking of an ocean liner. Ocean liners back then were on the way out, and um, I knew something about the docking procedure. And so I made this film. And then I went on to make Claw, out of the material that Walter and I had shot, and that's where it stayed for some years.
1: Okay, and I mean, I was interested to, to, to learn about uh, your studying with Hans Richter because I, you know, it, there's definitely a, a kind of kinetic and geometric quality to the way that you see New York City. You know, you're often drawn to these. Subjects such as buildings and, and windows and architectural details, or moving trains, and there, there, there are a lot of geometric forms in there. And I was curious whether Richter was an influence, or you know whether or not he was. Uh, just sort of what drew you particularly to that that particular view of the city. There's a lot of there's people in this city, and it's working class people of New York City. But it's also a sense of the presence of buildings of sky. Of carvings, of fire escapes, all of these details that that are drawing your attention.
3: Yes. Well, the original idea for the large script that I had written called Dream of a City, the original idea was that we were protesting the glass boxes that were going up in favor of the older city, right? And that's the theme of. Did you, did you get to see Claw?
1: I did not see Claw. I saw Dream of the City, but Claw's, uh, I did not see.
3: Oh, well, Claw's my favorite film.
1: Oh well, watch it. Uh, it
3: was the original material made from that first material. And the theme of it was, as I say, um, a protest against these glass boxes that were going up. And back in, 19, in the 1950s, they were going, you know, the city was rampant with them. I mean, they were going up midtown like crazy, you know, and they were all boxes. And I had discovered Frank Lloyd Wright, whose architecture was very different. So the, the fact that there are angles in my films comes out of an idea and not out of anything formalistic or Hans Richter. Actually, Hans was an influence on me for his integrity, but his filmmaking was very different from mine. And and my big influences were Sidney Myers and Leo Hurwitz, whom I worked with for many years. And this retrospective, you know, pairs us, which I'm very yep. honored uh, about. But to go on about angles, you know, trains and so on, they come up independently. I mean, stations of the elevated happened because I was part of a food co-op. And early in the morning, we would take my car, go to the to Hunts Point in the Bronx from the Upper West Side. and Uh, We'd go on the Bronx Expressway, which uh, had three or four overhead elevated lines that you passed under. And we'd go, and the sun was just coming up in the summertime, and uh, there'd be a train, and it would have graffiti from beginning to end, ten cars or more. And... uh, that was beautiful in the morning light. And I'd never seen anything like it because the way you saw graffiti if you took the subway was you were indoors, you were looking for a seat, you know, you were jostling with other, other passengers. And some big smear would come by that you weren't too happy about. But now, in the sunlight and outdoors, they look brilliant. They look beautiful. And so, you know, that kind of thing led to that film. And so the other things that you cite as angles are all as a result of an idea for the given film that I'm making or shooting. And uh, really had nothing formal to do with it. Except it comes out that way. Okay.
1: Okay. And something, you mentioned Stations of the Elevated. When when MoMA did a retrospective in 2017, uh, you told an interviewer that you thought of, of, of the film as, a film made such that a visitor from the future was looking at our world. And I was wondering how yeah. much you were thinking about the kind of uh, communication over time or making films for posterity or so that future New Yorkers... Or future people could see what New York was like in that era, or what were you? Did you do you have a sense of that connection to time at the time?
3: You know, not not specifically, but uh, I did have that idea about the visitor from the future. I I, I made uh, stations of the elevated with a view. As a matter of fact, I was going to. Write a narration which I, I never could. I tried very hard, but I never could. In which the visitor from the future looks at this crazy world of ours. You know, with with a prison that looks like a castle, and 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 uh, uh, all these paintings on on trains, and and uh, bombed out you know, part, part of the city uh, where kids are playing and and all this crazy stuff. And that's what our city was like. And it's really, it's really weird. You know, when you think about, it, when you look at Stations of the Elevated, what a crazy-looking city that is.
1: Yeah.
3: A really, you know, a, a nutty-looking city. And so, yes, that, that interview uh, line that I, gave at the time was was absolutely true and um, it is the way I approached that because once once I um, decided to make the film it turned out not to be only about graffiti on trains it turned out to be about all these other things and others and uh, because I felt I was making a film simultaneously about the graffiti trains and the city. So I combined the two in that film.
1: Yeah, and just to help listeners follow along, Stations of the Elevated, was you released that in 1981. Uh, The films that now make up this four-part cycle that you recently re-edited are from footage in the late 1950s. Um, that uh, that became this four-part series that's going to be showing at the Museum with a Moving Image. You know, two parts uh, premiered in 2018, 2019. Um, the final two parts, uh, Up the Lazy River and One More Time, you know, you had begun them pre-COVID, but it really, then this is material that you had from the 19, late 1950s, but finished them, yeah. uh, you know, during, during the COVID era, in part during lockdown. And I wanted to hear from you about what that was like—really reengaging and continuing to reengage with this material from decades past. At this moment, where you know New York City is is shut down, uh, it's it's full of, of death and fear and uncertainty. Um, and and here you are in this different era. What that was like, and did it did the, did the past footage look or feel or speak any differently to you? because of what was happening around you at that time?
3: Well, my answer to you is not going to be very dramatic. In the first place, it's more than a four-part series, because Claw, which I made in 1968, is part of that series. Mm -hmm. And in 1975, I made Bridge High, and and both of those are included in the retrospective. And so there are at least six films. But uh, in some of my other films, I included material from that. For example, in my film, We Were So Beloved, which is about German-Jewish refugees who came from the Nazi area era to um, Washington Heights, uh, there's a sequence that uses... Um, some Washington Heights material from that earlier shooting. And in my film Tall, there's a whole sequence uh, near the end that uh, uses material from,
2: from that time. Now, saying that, I have to say that I
3: didn't pay much attention to the changes in New York. And I'm always faulted for this, but I, uh, I'm sort of a homebody. I mean, I go to concerts, I go to theater, I meet friends at restaurants. Okay. But I'm basically, I, the thing I love best in life is to edit film. I just love doing that. And so when I come back to this material uh, in 2000, uh, late 2017, uh, it's presented to me as material to edit. I use it as material to answer your question. And I was not affected by the lockdown because I have my computers at home and uh, edit at home. And so, you know, I get up in the morning, I go to my computer, I edit a few hours, then I have lunch, then I go to my computer, edit in the afternoon. And um, so New York for me, in a way, is the same it always is. Right now, I'm, I, I read that my neighborhood is more dangerous than it was. On the other hand, the air quality is much better than it was back
2: when I shot those films. So, New York evolves, and, um, and you know, there are
3: no more graffiti trains, obviously, and, and, and other things change, but I'm not so much aware of the change. So, When I faced this material, I faced it as if it were freshly shot and I had a job to do.
1: So do you think that the kind of filmmaking that you did then, I mean, I want to actually, before I get to this next question, I want to hear a little bit more about what it was like, the technical challenges um, and the sort of conditions on the street. Also, you know, how you shot people without you know being obtrusive or having them make faces into your camera or all the things that people do what it really took in that place and time to do the kind of street filming you were doing um and and how did you go about kind of finding the the subjects and and the focus for the story you wanted to tell well let's
2: see um I
3: guess the best example of that is uh, in free time. And in free time, there are several neighborhoods. There's Washington Heights. There's uh, um, the 80s. There's
2: uh, Hell's Kitchen. uh, And uh, in every case,
3: we got either near the kids or the people or we were a little bit away, using a telephoto lens. But when we were close to the to the kids, they would often say things like, Take my picture, Mister, you know, and jump up and down in front of the camera. But then when we started shooting and they didn't hear any sound and they and we stuck around for an hour to shoot, they got bored with us and they did their thing. And I think that would happen today as well. Especially today where the cameras are absolutely silent. The bollocks made a whirring noise. But the digital cameras or iPhones are silent when you, when you shoot um, moving images. And so I think... And also,
2: you know, it's so common today, you know, to shoot that, that, um, I don't know to, You know, I made this film, Canners, about people who pick up
3: cans and bottles and recycle them for five cents each. And before I started that film, I had a little point-and-shoot camera. And I wanted to test out the idea. And wherever I saw somebody packing up bottles or cans, I went. And I just held this thing while talking to them. And they talked to me. And they didn't notice the point and shoot at all. And I got a half-hour film that I edited out of that material before I made the real film.
1: Now... uh You know, I just you mentioned before that, you know, just how common it is for people to film the world around them, right? We all have, or most of us have, cameras in our in our pockets and and people use street photography in, in filming for so many different purposes and share them on social media. Is there a purpose for the kind of filmmaking? Um, that has you know, been so much of your work, right? This uh, kind of documentary, uh, street filming, capturing uh, places and 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 movement and 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 existence at a moment. Is is there a place for that in our world now? And is that is, is there any subject in New York City or theme that really attracts your eye and your interest now?
2: Even if you're not filming it. Ah uh, well. That's an excellent question. Uh, You know, it doesn't bother me at all that people now are
3: shooting whatever they want to shoot, and a lot of it, and so on. But the question is, what are they going to do with it? You know, except show it to their friends. You know, I mean... Some people might take it more seriously and want to edit the material and bring it to to a, a final state.
2: But I, I don't feel I'm in competition with that. I feel that I make films. I hope they're good. Um, Museum of the Moving Image is showing them so there must be something to them. And um I I I always you know,
3: I I never thought of documenting, documenting New York. Here's my thought about New York. My thought was well, I didn't have money. Film when we were shooting on film when we weren't shooting digitally is very expensive. I mean, you have to film it, then you have to send it to the laboratory, then you have to transfer the sound, then you have to, later, you have to um, make prints until they're the way you want them. You know, all this is very, very costly. And I didn't get many grants at all. So the only way I could get by is if I shot in... New York or in my neighborhood. I mean, New York is so rich. My God, you know, you walk down Broadway, you see somebody piled high with cans in a shopping cart. My God. so that's an image that led to my phone canners. And and you know, you just for short circuit, I went downstairs, um, from my house, and I stood on a corner, and
2: on the corner, you could shoot uh, 270 degrees. You know
3: what I mean? You can shoot in every direction without moving, without moving. And there was so much going on in uh, uh, 1970 when I shot, well, when did I shoot it? Something like that. When I shot Short Circuit, um, so New York for me has always been a place for material.
2: I mean, look at look at
3: stations of the elevated. Went to the Bronx for it. I went to Queens for it. I went to Brooklyn for it. I went to Upper Manhattan for it. You know, I, the only place I didn't go for it is Staten Island, but.
2: New York is so rich, so rich, and I couldn't afford to travel. So, New York became my movie set. And,
3: in a way, it still is. I mean, nowadays, you know, I'm 91 years old. I can't go on the street and shoot the way I did. I I have a bad knee. and
2: I have uh limited energy so I go up people's houses and interview them That's easy you know
3: one one person a day and I'm driven around by my camera
2: person we rent a car a van which has lights and uh So, New York, and, you know, going up people's apartments, I mean,
3: sometimes we travel to Massachusetts or to Rhode Island, we
2: did that this year, a month ago, and, uh, but basically, the apartments are in New York, and basically they're near where I live, and so that's what New York is for me, a movie set. Wow.
1: Um, I've been talking with filmmaker Manfred Kershiner, who is uh, has a retrospective coming up at the Museum of the Moving Image, uh, along with his uh, colleague, Leo Hurwitz. That's going to be uh, this next Saturday and Sunday, October 15th and 16th. And uh, again, on uh, October 22nd and 23rd. Uh, Manny, it's really been a pleasure talking with you, getting to know you, getting to know your work. Um, really, it's, it's very special. And I, and I want to yeah, thank you for taking the
4: time. Oh, well, thank you so much, Alyssa. It's been a great pleasure. FAQ. Thank you for listening to FAQ NYC. We're now a part of The City, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. Our work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc and is supported by listeners and readers like you. Go to thecity.nyc donate if you'd like to pitch in. We are headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty, Policy, and Research, and are also a proud member of the BrickHouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists, online at thebrick.house. Our host this week was Alyssa Katz, Deputy Editor at The City. I'm our engineer, Adam Kimara, and Harry Siegel is our executive producer. A special thank you to our guest, documentarian Manny Kirshheimer, and to you, dear listener, for joining us and making it this far. Be kind, be cool, and we'll be back soon with more.